Well, welcome to another Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, happy to be with you today. I know you're thinking, wait, Roger, Super Tuesday? Come on, man, it's January 10th. Why are we talking Super Tuesday already? We, we With the debacle in the House of Representatives and then uh, with the midterms already finished in November of this past year, we've got plenty of time to get geared up for Super Tuesday type of stuff. True? Well, that's true. But I wanted to turn the spotlight here at the start of the program here on three new freshman state senators who uh, have been sworn into the California State Senate. Oftentimes we hear about assembly members. We hear about guys like James Gallagher, Kevin Kiley. Of course, Kevin Kiley is now Congressman Kiley. Uh, the state assembly seems to be kind of the breeding ground for uh, higher political office. But state senators don't always make that jump. They don't always get a lot of uh, press. And even though they don't, they play a huge role. Anytime you hear a bill being proposed in the California state legislature, if it's AB, that stands for assembly bill, of course. And if it's SB, that means it's coming from the California state Senate. And what's interesting about both of these houses is for years. I, I was reading Tom McClintock wrote a great op-ed last week. Uh, he is in the well Elk Grove area, I think, uh, Northern California, but one of the lone conservatives there. He was in the third district. Now he's in the fourth or fourth or third in, with redistricting. He wrote a pretty uh, powerful op-ed about why the uh, the the GOP. Uh, Freedom Caucus was kind of messing things up and talking about the the legislative bodies and. He made an interesting point. He said, in 1995, the California state legislature faced a similar dilemma. Now, in 95, I think we were still in Pete Wilson time or maybe George Dubajan time in terms of governorship. But even though California had a majority of Republican leadership, I believe it was in the state assembly, possibly the state senate, uh, there were enough members of that body on the Republican side that didn't like who was nominated for their leader that they actually jumped ranks and sided with Democrats and wound up electing a Democrat leader, even though there was a Republican majority. And I can't stress enough how important it is to, you know, I, I understand the principles thing. I understand the values thing. I understand that there, you know, we, we've, for years, conservatives have been uh, elected to state offices and national offices and have not been terribly conservative once they got there. You know, I mean, there was the Tea Party movement of 2010 and that midterm election, and that gave us Mike Lee and Ted Cruz and a whole host of other people. I think Marco Rubio came out of that, too, that pitched a big stink but didn't really have a, as nearly the impact that they thought they would to the point now where a guy like Ted Cruz on this whole thing is, I mean, he's a senator, but he's just kind of silent. I mean, during the four years of the Trump administration, he kind of laid low. First two years of the Biden administration, haven't heard a lot from Ted Cruz. Mike Lee seems to be getting most of the press these days on that side, but the, the Tea Party candidates for the House and Senate back in the 2010 midterms, that movement's kind of fizzled out. So now this House Freedom Caucus of you know, 15 or 20 or so is kind of sending a mixed message, I think, in terms of Republican unity, but also uh, you know standing for constitutional rights, et cetera, et cetera. So in that spirit, uh, let's take a look at three new faces that are representing Orange County residents in the California State Senate for the next uh, four years. And to the credit, the, the fact that two of them are Republican and one are Democrat, I think is important to note because of the Democrat supermajority that the People's Republic of California has. You have a Democratic uh, governor, Democratic lieutenant governor, and then you have a Democrat majority in the state assembly, 
There are 80 members of the state assembly, and I think at last count, I, I don't want to misquote this, but it's anywhere from 63 to 66 of them are Democrats. And then on the state Senate side, where there are 40 seats, it's somewhere around 28 to 12. So anytime you can welcome some new Republican leadership in there, just for balance and for no other reason. I mean, I, I am definitely a no-party preference guy. I register Republican in California because the rules of the GOP mean that if I register as no-party preference, I can't vote for their people if, uh, if I do. I certainly don't see anything of any value in the Democrat Party right now, but quite frankly, I think there are a lot of people like me who are saying, you know, no party preference. California, 24, or 24% or 25% of registered voters do not have a party preference. The idea that California is this ultra-liberal uh, playground really isn't all that accurate. So let's turn the spotlight on three of our newest members of the California State Senate, shall we? Uh, that has been certified now. But by, by the way, California's election results were certified back in December on the 16th. So here is, uh, here, and here they are, the three we're going to look at. First, we'll look at Kelly Sayarto, a former council member, retired firefighter, uh, recently ran in the state assembly, uh, and, and I take that back, he had already represented the state assembly in the 32nd district, and uh, for him, he said running for state senator was a no-brainer. Um, he's now representing members of the uh, constituency, in Yorba Linda, Chino Hills, Norco, parts of Corona. Uh, and he says, uh, that, that as a guy who's a Murrieta-based Republican, um, he's already gotten to work. I mean, quite frankly, he already filed one bill. I mean, this, the state assembly and the state senate just reconvened a week or so ago, and he's already filed a bill that forms a fentanyl task force. Uh, the reason is that in Orange County, Fentanyl poisoning and overdoses increased by 100%. In other words, they doubled from 2017 to 2021. So ru running now and uh, serving in the, uh, the, the 32nd district is uh, Kelly Ciardo. So congratulations to all who voted for him. Uh, excuse me, 36th district. Uh, he's also looking at the water supply crisis, and I'm sure with all the rains we've had of late, that's something he's going to think about this too. Uh, heading south a little bit, the former mayor of Encinitas, Catherine Blakespear, uh, has t take is she described herself as euphoric during her swearing-in ceremony. She is representing uh, San Diego's 38th district, and uh, that's the coastal communities in North County and also in Southern Orange County. You know, and you know that great divide as you're driving down the five. You get into Capistrano and you get into San Clemente and then you hit San Onofre and then you get into San Diego and you can feel everything shift, right? I remember working in North County, San Diego, probably 30 years ago. And uh, they made a big stink about the fact that I lived in Orange County and made the commute. And the station I was working for said, well, you know, I mean, it really is different down here. And I said, yeah, well, what's the exchange rate? You know, I mean, it made it sound like once you get out from behind the Orange Curtain and into San Diego County, it's a whole different deal. Well, uh, Catherine Blakespear is representing the south part of Orange County and the north part of San Diego, known as, known as simply North County. And she has already filed a couple of bills in the 38th district as well. Well, one of them it creates a framework for cities' obligations when it comes to homelessness. And that's something that is uh, a huge concern for, uh, for people in the 38th district. The other focus is on gun violence. And since she's a Democrat, I would imagine those are kind of party platform lines for her. So Catherine Blakespear uh, representing South Orange County and North County, San Diego. And then in December, you had Janet Wynn, 
Uh, Janet Wynn, a former Republican Assemblywoman. She's been a county supervisor. She was elected to the California State Senate in 2014 and represented the 34th district there, then went to the supervisory role. Now she's back in Sacramento. This time she represents essentially the same place, but it's the 36th district, and that is Coastal Orange County and then Fountain Valley, Garden Grove, Westminster, as well as a little bit of L.A. County. And the thing about that area, too, is that Janet Wynn, being of Vietnamese descent, is hugely popular with the Vietnamese communities in those areas. She said, you know, it's interesting because when um, when she said when she was elected in 2014, I remember Tim Donnelly, California State Assembly member, uh, had a similar experience when he was elected in 2014 and said, um, or in 2012, he said, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of orientation. Um, I really, that's a nice way of saying, they just kind of threw you in with the wolves and said, figure it out. Um, she said, now coming back here in 2023, um, it's a lot better organized. And she said, uh, job number one for her is working on the homeless issue. Homelessness, uh, quoting her here uh, in the Orange County Register, it's not just about people needing housing, it's about helping people who are mentally ill people who have uh, chemical addictions, drug addictions, things like that. Uh, she said, I think we need to have a conversation about helping veterans as well. And then, then she said uh, another thing would be to work on the gas issue. And, you know, pr praise God, when you travel, I, I see the pictures on social media. I know you do, too. Every time, some, like I, we, Lisa and I have three of our six kids live in Texas. So every time we make a, a journey, we call it our Texas two-step because invariably we'll wind up flying to Houston and driving to Dallas or flying to San Antonio and driving to Houston or whatever. Um, we, we, uh, we always notice, of course, that the gas prices are a lot lower. And when I'm in places like uh, Tennessee for national religious broadcasters or to hang out with Craig Huey, um, at the Reality Alert and Election Forum, uh, the, the gas prices are always so much lower. And people ask, well, why is that? I mean, I, I don't understand. Well, please know, I've learned from friends in the oil industry, that when it comes to refinery and refining the oil, the, the crude that be, turns into what we call petroleum, you know, the gasoline that we put in our cars. Um, from what I understand, it costs essentially the same at any refinery you go to. So the only other costs you have to take into consideration are transportation of the oil, you know, the big tanker trucks that come to the gas stations. And, and whatever taxes are at play in the respective states. And in California, let's face it, the, we, we pay a ton in fuel taxes in the People's Republic of California. I haven't looked at Colorado fuel prices recently, or Oregon, or Texas, but um, I do know that California does lead the league in taxes, and we, we don't seem to have a problem with it. So if you're paying, uh, what, let's see, I was at Costco the other day, paid 420 419.9 for a gallon of the uh, 91 octane. Um, I could probably get that same gallon of gas for about a buck and a half cheaper in Texas. Things to think about as you are considering whom you vote for. But we'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. I, I get the sense that these are uh, a couple of, uh, well, three, two women and one man who are taking in California State Assembly and representing our area, especially here locally, very, very well. And uh, we wish them success, and we are praying for their continued uh, uh, progress as they uh, take hold of the California State Senate. And we really hope and pray, and I mean this sincerely, that this season of uh, uh, what we're experiencing in terms of political upheaval and things like that doesn't get into the California State Assembly. So many horrible bills were passed and signed and proposed that it's enough to make you lose faith in government. I mean, California, we'll, we'll be talking about this on subsequent uh, 
National Crawford Roundtable podcast, maybe even this week or next, uh, with regard to the 16 or 20 or so laws that were signed into effect that uh, Bob Duco in Detroit, John Rush in, Col- in Colorado, sent me email saying, Are you, did this really happen in California? I said, yeah, it really did. Um, our state senators are important. Our state assembly members are important. But uh, these are three state senators for whom we have high hopes, and yes, two Republicans and one Democrat. So we've got that up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, I mentioned faith uh, for the fact that so many people, especially Christians, are losing faith in government. What happens when people who are raised in the church and believe they have a solid foundation in faith wind up getting hurt by the church? Why? What happens when they start looking at the church as a business operation? Oh, this is just about numbers. How many people join the church? I know I've been a part of a church where we eventually wound up leaving because there was such an emphasis on, we need to have new baptized believers every week, and we're just going to do an altar call until people come forward, and instead of letting the Spirit be the Spirit. Uh, Becca McNeil knows what it's like to grow up in that kind of church environment and to say, you know what, enough is enough. I'm a Christian. I love God, but I can't stand when I see what's happening in the church but I want to raise my kids in the church. So uh, she has what she describes a questioning faith. She's written a book about her experience and where she and her family are right now. It's called Bringing Up Kids When Church Lets You Down, A Guide for Parents Questioning Their Faith. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and a fascinating conversation waiting for you, I'm sure. Becca McNeil will join me coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to Preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Well, today on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into a topic of conversation for anyone who's ever gone through a season where you say, I'm not sure I know what I believe anymore, or I'm not even sure I believe what I believe anymore. You have questions about God, you have questions about faith and the church, and then the church lets you down. What exactly do you do with that? Well, today here on the broadcast, Becca McNeil is joining me. She's a journalist, a wife, and a mother of two who has written a very, very interesting, uh, I believe, treatise for anybody who's ever had questions about their faith. It's called Bringing Up Kids When Your Church Lets You Down. A Guide for Parents Questioning Their Faith. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Becca McNeil, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you so much for having me. I don't want to ask you the, you know, hey, can you tell me in 60 seconds your whole life story? But give us, <laughs> okay. give us, well, give us a little bit of framework because, I mean, from the, the title, our listeners may surmise that you have gone through a season or you went through a season or you just said to heck with the whole thing with regard to growing up in the church and then saying, I'm not sure this is for me. So, c- kind of give us an overview of where you're coming from with this. Yeah. 
Um, so I definitely grew up in a very conservative and when I say conservative, I, I do mean politically, but mostly the, like theologically, mm-hmm. very certain, very sure of what they believed and were not particularly open to questions or disagreement or anything like that. So mm-hmm. I would say I grew up in a very certainty based uh, religious home, small conservative church in Texas um, that all of the, you know, stereotypes of that actually kind of hold true in this case so that's Mm -hmm. i grew up in in a very typical uh conservative christian home and then when i went away to school and started asking questions and started meeting people outside my little bubble i had questions and uh like i had asking questions led to more questions and when i came back from some time away, I was going to work for the same denomination that I grew up in, different church, but same denomination. And those questions were were not received well. Mm. And so I would say that in asking questions and pushing back on some things that I thought seemed more like they were decisions made for cultural reasons rather than Christian reasons, if you want to put it that way, sure. Um, when I would kind of say, well, do you know, do we have to do it that way? Could there maybe be a, a way that's more inclusive of people who don't have a lot of money? Or is there something we could do so that women would feel a little less like they're just there to wait tables? Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be met. I was just kind of treated as like a hostile presence. Yeah. yeah. So that led to um, a season of, I would say, more, more serious deconstructing and figuring mm-hmm. out are all those attitudes really just part of Christianity or is that something that was unique to that church? How, how wide is that in the system? Um, like how, how much of the American church is steeped in that kind of, we're going to cater to whoever gives the most money. Right. Um, that mentality. And yeah, it took me through on quite a journey, um, visiting churches, going to churches, finding, um, peaceful places to land for a little bit and asking more questions. Um, and then I had kids. And so mm, that changes everything, doesn't <laughs> it? It does. Bring kids it does. Into yeah. Because it, it stopped being my own <clears throat> personal uh, inquiry and started being something where I was forming people. Mm-hmm. Um, like they're not deconstructing, they're building it for the first time. And yeah. so I wanted to make sure I was giving them good stuff. Mm-hmm. And that led to another um, like asking questions in a different way. And along the way, I'm meeting all these people who are sharing a lot of these feelings and questions. And uh, I'm a journalist. And so that eventually, you know, when you see a pattern like that as a journalist, you know, it's a story. And in this case, there were so many of them, it was not a story, but a mm-hmm. book. Right. <laughs> well, we're glad you wrote it too. The book is called Bringing Up Kids When Church Lets You Down a guide for parents questioning their faith by Becca McNeil. And we have a link for the book up at the bottom line show.com. And I want to commend you, Becca. And I don't, I don't mean this to sound patronizing, but for actually being a journalist and doing journalistic work, because we do live in a culture. I'm sure we would both agree where it's too easy to try to have the culture war battle uh, on Twitter, you know, or in, yeah. in the social media world where it's all about memes and mic drops. And you really don't get to the heart of the issue. I've talked to, I worked in youth ministry for a number of years, and I know the number of kids who would come in and say, hey, I want to live with, you know, a guy would come up and say, hey, my girlfriend and I want to live together after we graduate from high school. My parents are freaking out. What's wrong with that? 
and you realize, well, no one at church ever had a conversation with them about God's plan for marriage or what the world says about this, or, you know, people, how many people wind up going down certain paths simply because the church's answer was like what you got, which is, you know, don't ask that question. Or, mm -hmm. you know, we, we don't talk about, this is the way we do things here for crying out loud, but worship a living and loving God whose word is alive and speaks to you. And you're like, well, wait, I don't, yeah, exactly. I don't really get, I don't really fully understand it. How would you describe your situation now, Becca? I mean, it's, I mean, I want to, don't want to jump to the punchline here, but I mean, you've, you've talked about how you went through the, the deconstruction and I appreciate the fact that you talked about deconstruction, not from a, Hey, I threw all that stuff away. And now I'm telling everybody how I deconstructed, but rather saying, I want to disassemble so I could reassemble this. I mean, I want to see what's really right and true as opposed to just out of heck with that nonsense. Right. And I think that it's fair for a lot of people's if, if hurt, interpersonal hurt has been a big or betrayal or um, abuse has been a part of your your experience I think it's fair to go through at least a season mm -hmm. of I mean I even had a Christian therapist who said why don't you just not go to church for a minute mm. just take a breath mm -hmm. and um and her thing was she I remember when she said it she said I don't think you'll be able to stay away forever even if you want to because you're going to want to be around um, people who know how to encourage your spirit and know how to talk about God with you. But in a, when you're in a time where all of that's just really grating on you, because that's the language people used to hurt you, it's fair to mm -hmm. stay away. Yeah. So I definitely did that for a while. And I would say now I'm in a season of um, wanting to have relationships with people of God in different churches like i i don't want to put all of my relationship eggs in one church basket if you want to put it that way like sure. so i do seek out like friendships where we can talk about spiritual things whether or not we agree on everything and that can mm -hmm. be as broad as belonging to different religions or as narrow as going to two different you know uh two different churches in the same denomination or whatever. Sure. Mm -hmm. So my goal has been to know and love and have conversations with those people so that wherever I end up, I'm not encouraged to say like, okay, this is my tribe. We're the ones who are right. This is where I'm, I'm putting all of my investment because I know that these are human institutions and they're fragile. I've mm -hmm. seen churches go down because somebody was mishandling money. I've seen them go down because, um, I mean, COVID took out <laughs> the church yeah. we were going to because they didn't have their own space. Mm. So they couldn't control when they were getting to meet. Mm -hmm. There's just, they're, they're fragile things really. And pastors come and go and bring with them all sorts of interesting dynamics. And so my goal right now is to, see the church really work on seeing the church as like the big C church and right. getting to know people who love God in all sorts of ways so that it's just a more resilient sense of community instead mm -hmm. of needing to justify being with this group of people, even when stuff is, is going really poorly. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, I appreciate the, the such a healthy response and very thoughtful too. Uh, Becca McNeil is my guest today here on the Bottom Line. Love this book. It's called "Bringing Up Kids When Church Lets You Down: A Guide for Parents Questioning Their Faith." 
We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com as we continue. We'll take a quick break here. But as we continue, I want to talk about how the parenting journey is going for Becca and her family and also uh, some tips that you could give to our listeners who may find themselves saying, wow, I'm glad she brought this up because I have a 30-year-old daughter. I have a 25-year-old son you know, who just basically grew up in the church. And they're asking me questions, and I'm not really sure how to answer them. So how do I have that dialogue, especially, say, over holiday gatherings or things like that? We'll, go, we'll, we'll pick Becca's brain for some tips on that on the other side of this break, as the bottom line continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover, she knows the other side. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Becca McNeil is my guest, a journalist, author, uh, podcaster and blogger she has a brand new book out called bringing up kids when church lets you down a guide for parents questioning their faith a link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com and as we always do here in the first half hour if you join me for the first half hour this is when we have these kind of hidden giveaways Uh, i'd like to give you first dibs on the book we have one copy of this book to give away 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line um, if you find yourself as a parent or perhaps you're the parent of adult children who are raising your grandchildren and maybe those adult kids walked away from their faith and they say you ask them are you a christian yeah i'm a christian i just don't go to church i think there's too much hypocrisy or this that and the other thing i want to commend to you becca's book I appreciate it. I don't agree with 100% of everything that she writes about in terms of that experience because it's not my experience. But I appreciate the fact that she at least is approaching this not from the uh, that whole deconstructionist you know, approach that a lot of people have. Oh, yeah, I was a Christian, but now I was an evangelical, now I'm an ex-evangelical, and I'm, I'm leaving the church. That's it. There's really no way that you can right the wrong if you just turn and walk away. You know, and, and the church does get a lot of things wrong. <laughs> trust me i mean there are a lot of churches that are doing things in the name of god pastors embezzling money and there's one catholic church where there was a the gal who was uh, kind of siphoning funds off the top as the business administrator uh, she was a sister so-and-so and next thing you know she's in handcuffs and behind bars but the idea is i think part of the problem that a lot of people in the evangelical church have seen is that if you try to question your faith against the cultural backdrop oftentimes the church's answer is be quiet pray it away, and then come back. And I appreciate Becca taking a more open-minded approach to saying, I want to be part of this community, 
but I, I want to be able to question it as well. Bringing Up Kids When Church Lets You Down by Becca McNeil. We're giving away a copy right now at 800-227-5278. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Well, Dennis Wilson is with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, 800-696-9970 or go to wilson-financial.com. There are a lot of people who have been really taking a bath when it comes to stocks this year, stock market off 25% in some segments, but yet you have a new program that's really designed to help somebody in that situation earn some of that loss back. It's obviously designed to do exactly that. It's a very limited offer on a 16% guaranteed return on your account in an account that in the next two years can never go down. It is a great vehicle to help people who have lost money because of the way the market is. But there is a time limit, is there not, Dennis Wilson? People have to act now. The 4th of January, you have an additional, I think, 30 or 60 days to get the funds in because some of these IRA accounts take a while to move. But yes, the initial application and declaration that you want to start the account needs to be signed by 1-4-23. Well, this is a golden opportunity. Go to wilson-financial.com, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial. Becca McNeil is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Intriguing title for her book. As we hear about so much deconstruction going on with Christian celebrities and things like that, that's kind of almost become a code word for, I just left my faith. But in Becca's case, her book is called Bringing Up Kids When Church Lets You Down, a guide for parents questioning their faith. She had some very serious questions, but you've been, you're still on the spiritual journey. It's not like you just threw Christianity out the door and said, I didn't like the silver ring thing or the purity pledge or, you know, whatever was the big media thing to get people to act Christian. You have really just been on a journey and and you're finding some really different answers. How did your, how did your parents respond? When, (laughs) (laughs) is that a whole separate conversation? (laughs) Well, they, they responded, let's, let's, there's kind of two groups of parents, like the spiritual parents. And then my actual parents, my actual parents had a, <laughs> had a multifaceted response because they're characters in the book in some ways. And there's mm-hmm. some stories about them in there that I know, um, they had to quickly become okay with mm-hmm. being told through my eyes instead of their version of it. Right. And they were fine with, fine with it all being in there, but definitely, I think it always feels unfair when you don't get to say you're like, well, here's why we did <laughs> right, that. Here's, right, here's right. why we burned all her Smurfs in the backyard in a pole. Um, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> which is, you know, one of the, one of the anecdotes, but the other group of people who I would put in that same category are people who were not characters in the book. They're not mentioned or anything, but they are people who raised me spiritually. The, mm. um, people who were, are still friends of our family who were elders in a, church or Sunday school teachers who were uh, teachers at my Christian schools that those folks um, the response has been I think largely dependent on what their journey has looked like there are some who feel like well she's she's an apostate now um, mm. even though <laughs> my mm-hmm. my uh, my agent is a grandfather he's you know a I think in his sixties and he read it and said, well, you're not an apostate. And I was like, okay, that's great. And he, (laughs) that's a great seal of approval. Yeah. But he also said like that he had agreed to represent me because these were conversations he was having with his kids. Interesting. And so I think that the, there have been some, people my parents age who knew me growing up 
who have seen the slings and arrows of what the last 10 years has done, 20 years even, with just lots and lots of megachurch scandals, lots Mm -hmm. of political messiness. Um, I think there are people who, and people have been getting hurt for forever, you know, interpersonally. Right. And so I think that if, if you've lived for 50 and 60 and 70 years, there's a good chance you've seen enough to know that some people's stories are not just, oh, I went to college and now I believe in science and not God. Some people's stories are born out of hurt and mistreatment and hopefully enough to see that people come and go, like that there can be a journey that's not just away from church. I think Mm -hmm. we were kind of told in the eighties and nineties that questioning that the road only went away and it never came back and it never remerged in any way. Mm-hmm. And I think that increased a lot of the alarmism when people had questions. And so the response that I've gotten from, I mean, my parents and I also had to have conversations about, you know, stuff that they had done as parents um, thinking that they were doing the, the right James Dobson led, thing Mm -hmm. you know and doing it by the book and my feedback on that um but they have been remarkably open about that and i think that they're you know the spiritual parents their response has largely been guided by the other stuff that they've seen like they Mm -hmm. know that this is coming from a genuine place yeah yeah, and, and that, that authenticity really rings true in the book, Bringing Up Kids When Church Lets You Down. Becca McNeil is the author of that book, and she's my guest today here on The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, we've got it, I mentioned at the website, and I encourage you to take a look at it, especially as you are moving into you know holidays and beyond as we get into a new year. We'll be getting, we, we've, we'll get a couple of weeks to catch our breath after one political season, then another one starts up, and they're all different opportunities for people to see faith playing out in the public square. Becca, what's encouraging you about the kinds of conversations not only you're having, but other people are having too? Where, yeah, I was talking to George Barner the other day about um, some of the research he's doing at Arizona Christian University. He said, you know, when you get right down to it, it's so weird to see the political parties at war with each other because 80% of Americans, whether they're Christian or not, whether they're Republican or Democrat, all basically want the same thing. They want their, their families important to them. Their marriage, if they're married, is important to them. Relationship with kids, is a, their community. All these things that we kind of look at as Americana are still important to people. So we, I think, in the body of Christ have the, the extra added blessing of being able to say, yeah, and we have a peace that the world doesn't have because, you know, our salvation is secure and, and we've got the spirit of God living in our hearts. But when the spirit of God shows up at some American churches, sometimes it's like, what the heck is this? You know, and right. It's, and I was it's, just, <laughs> yes, exactly. so, so, so what's, what, what encourages you? What, what have you seen during this whole process for you that continues to give you hope, especially as a mom? Yeah. Um, I would say that I am encouraged whenever people come up to me at a book signing or um, reach out through social media or whatever to just tell me their story of um, healing how they went there was hurt there was 
a broken relationship and then what happened to heal it and bring it back. And there are enough stories of healing to keep me encouraged. Mm. I think that I hear, you know, for every 20 something year old whose parents completely broke off the relationship when they came out or whatever, there's another, um, person whose parents became more flexible enough. They might not have changed their theological position, but became flexible enough in their relationship to keep their, their child in their family and Mm -hmm. to, to continue to love them and accept them as a person. And the, the healing that's possible when we stay in relationship and when we know that we can converse together and talk together and struggle together uh, is really wonderful. And so I'm encouraged. And I'm also encouraged by hearing how people found new communities and mm. did find a place where when when the when they looked around their own church or their own family and saw that something other than God was kind of driving the train, mm-hmm. um, when they were able to go find a place where it was authentic and where they were seeing the spirit move. And that's mm-hmm. been really encouraging. Uh, that that is great to hear because I get the sense just that we're just meeting each other, but I get the sense that where you're coming from is a is a pretty healthy place as opposed to sometimes there are people in the church who get go through the same things you talked about and then they just kind of dive off into the deep end of you know pick your vice or whatever it is and then try to Christianize it. And I think there's a very thin line, but it's an important one between the I'm just giving up all this stuff but I'll still kind of hold on to that. I still got my membership card to uh-huh. I'm, I'm moving in this direction. What, what are you, are you, are you liking the results? I mean, obviously it's not cause and effect when you're parents and you're raising up kids in the faith. Um, you, you don't get to say, well, if you follow these 10 steps, they're going to turn out perfect because that's kind of what you're pushing back against exactly. you know, in terms of all that. This is not but, a how to. Right. So, but what, what kind of grid, what kind of metric are you using and are you liking what you're seeing? Um, with my own children, I mean, they're six and eight. So ask me, you're asking me at a point where they're still at school today. So I'm yeah. loving <laughs> they're perfect and wonderful. And yes, everything yes. they've ever and done is great. They're going to be home in about 20 minutes and, sure. you know, we'll see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I, I'm so proud of them. I'm so amazed at who God is making them and who they're becoming and watching them, their own spiritual development. Mm-hmm. I, I am amazed by it every day. And what I will say, as far as behavior and whatnot, like it's, it it truly is a crapshoot. Every day is an adventure. As far as the freedom that they have to ask questions and the curiosity that I'm seeing in them, whether that's their disposition, like we didn't make them curious, but we have encouraged it. Mm -hmm. We're seeing things in them that we're encouraging. And that has been I'm I'm thrilled to death about to watch them be curious and to be compassionate Mm -hmm. and to be able to um, be in touch with like to know their own spirit and to be able to put it into words Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. they're feeling convicted about or what they're feeling compelled to do and say and so that's i would say from that perspective it's going great if you let your kids talk they'll talk Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and don't be afraid when i mean we have uh my wife and i have three grandchildren under the age of five Mm 
And they're still at the point where they will go up and just bang up against a wall or a table just because they like the sound, they like the sensation in their hand, but they also want to know it's not going to fall apart. You know, and I think sometimes we think our faith can't be like that with God, where we can't just come up and pound on his chest and say, why? You know, and like he's going to say, well, you should know why. And then that's the end of your faith. You know, instead of saying, I have questions, my goodness, read the Psalms and ask if the psalmists were asking questions, you know, and, and yeah. frustration with their own people. So I, I, I appreciate what you've done with this, Becca. And I, I'm grateful that our audience will be able to use this resource as well. The book is called Bringing Up Kids When Church Lets You Down, a guide for parents, and I'll say a guide for grandparents too, questioning their faith and asking what was it that happened here when we were raising these kids and grandkids that might've led them in a different direction did, why didn't I ask these questions when I were younger, too? This is a great resource for that. Uh, the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Becca McNeil, thank you for the work that you've done on this, and thanks for being with us today here on the program. Thank you for having me. It's been a fun, fun chat. Well, healthy and I think fair conversation today here on The Bottom Line featuring author and podcaster Becca McNeil. The book is called Bringing Up Kids When Church Lets You Down, a guide for parents questioning their faith. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And if you are finding yourself in this situation right now, or maybe more accurately, there's a lot of, there are a lot of us who have gone through this season with our own adult kids. They were raised in the church. They, uh, what was it? Uh, I was... <laughs> Brian Duncan has a song called We All Need, and it came out about 30 years ago. And he grew up in that kind of Pentecostal thing, and he said, I was raised with the with the blessings and the victory speech, and I fought for standards I could not reach. Um, was, that, that's where a lot of people who grew up in the church find themselves. The programmed church, the we've got the best youth group in the world, we've got the hippest band in the world type of thing, that was really, I think, well-intentioned. Even, I mean, and it kind of even started back in the Calvary Chapel movement. We're going to have a movie Monday here coming up about Jesus' revolution and the story of Chuck Smith and the Calvary Chapel uh, movement that was so welcoming to young kids. You know, come as you are. If you're a hippie, if you're dirty, come off the beach, smoke cigarettes, whatever. Come to our church and hear the gospel. And it really did change the way we approached organized church. But in the same way, though, then when everybody went all baby boom and yuppie um, <laughs> in the 80s, it kind of became corporate. And next thing you know, it was, you will memorize this amount of scripture or you can't be in our Bible club. You know, you can't go to this public school. You have to go to this Christian school that might be horribly run. We're going to have sexual purity pledges and things like that. And I, trust me, having worked in youth ministry and media ministry for nearly 40 years, things like the, uh, the see you at the pole and I kiss dating goodbye and stuff like that, those sexual purity pledge things turned out to be a disaster for a lot of kids gave kids the wrong impression of church. Now that those kids are raising their kids, these are fair questions to ask. Uh, and I appreciate uh, Becca McNeil asking them in this new book called Bringing Up Kids When Church Lets You Down, a guide for parents questioning their faith. We have one copy of the book to give away. Uh, we have other books that we're giving away today, though. So <laughs> don't let that dissuade you. We'll be taking calls on this one now through the end of the hour, uh, top of the hour now, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we continue, uh, we are going to have a story that's just really remarkable, and it's a reminder of why we in the body of Christ, who have been so passionately supporting the pro-life community, um, have a lot more work to do than just the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And so I... I 
I will commend to you a story about how the battle has shifted, how the pro-abortion forces have done nothing to uh, let grass grow under their feet with regard to whether or not uh, the abortion conversation will go away. Um, This is a remarkable dealing, and quite frankly, the idea that we in the body of Christ can kind of sit back and say, well, we're coming up on the uh, 50th anniversary of the passage of Roe versus Wade, and Roe versus Wade, uh, you know, now that it's gone, abortion problem already solved. Um, I've got a couple of stories for you to talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. My thanks again to Becca McNeil for a great conversation about uh, parents who are raising kids now after having grown up in the church themselves and realizing hey, I saw a lot of hypocrisy there. I'm not sure this is for me. But they want to raise their kids in the faith, and they want to raise their kids in the church. And so she wrote a book called Bringing Up Kids When the Church Lets You Down, a guide for parents questioning their faith. It's a link up for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we're giving away a copy right now between now and the top of the hour. You can call in at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. We have... Um, a couple of uh, organizations that have partnered with us here at the Bottom Line Show to bring awareness to the battle for abortion and the sanctity of human life. And I'm honored that Preborn and the Alliance Defending Freedom are part of uh, the Bottom Line Show. And the reason is for cases just like this. When Roe versus Wade was overturned, Planned Parenthood versus Casey was overturned, it's so nice to be able to say, every time I would say, well, we're coming up on January 22nd, and we remember that's the whatever anniversary of uh, the passing of Roe versus Wade, which legalized abortion in America. And it was heartbreaking to say, year after year, it's the 42nd commemoration. It's the 43rd. I mean, bottom line show signed on September 19, 2011. So let's see, in, in 2012, we had to deal with the 39th and then the 40th. And every year, and, and even this last year, In 2022, it's like, oh my gosh, this is the 49th anniversary. Are we going to have to commemorate the 50th? Fortunately, this year, two weeks from Sunday, or excuse me, one week from Sunday now, um, we will commemorate the first passing of the 22nd of January without having to say that Roe versus Wade is the law of the land. Many people on the progressive left uh, were of the opinion that Roe versus Wade was constitutional law, was settled law, and all the Supreme Court did, quite frankly, was to rule that Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey were not settled law, that they were not in the Constitution, that they were not protected by the First Amendment, the Fourteenth Amendment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And and quite frankly, I think the court ruled correctly. They did not outlaw abortion in America. What they said was, this is not a federal issue. The U.S. Constitution doesn't cover it. Every state needs to come up with their own plan. So Democrats went into attack mode, and Christians went into high-five victory mode. And conservatives and Republicans basically said, well, you know what? This is no longer an issue. Roe versus Wade is settled law, and it's no longer the law. Yes, there are 25 states in the United States that have legalized abortion. And yes, there are ways around it because the abortion industry, more than half of abortions performed in the U.S. were what they call medical abortions as opposed to surgical. Surgical is the traditional woman goes into an abortion clinic, legs up on the stirrups. If you you saw the movie Unplanned, uh, you see the Abby Johnson character having uh, a surgical abortion. But she also had what was called a medical abortion. And this was 20-some years ago. She had a lot of bleeding. It was very, very painful to watch. Lisa and I, we were still dating at the time that movie came out. We sat there and watched it, and 
I Lisa almost broke my hand gripping it so tight. It was just so compelling. It was so just remarkable. But what's happened over time, over the course of many years, is knowing that Roe versus Wade would eventually be overturned and surgical abortions on the federal level would be wiped out, now it becomes a state's issue and the medical abortion, so-called, the pill abortion, has become more common. The leading cause of abortion in the United States right now is because women are taking the abortion medication called mifepristone, I believe is the way it's pronounced. And all we've heard from the abortion industry, you know, know there's Plan B, the so-called RU486, the French abortion pill, the morning after pill. The FDA gets involved and they change the language on it. Now, you know and I know what happens. Let's let's look at the basic root word of conception to conceive a child, to create the, the, the beginning. The conception of an idea is the beginning, the birth of it. Contraception means to stop that from conceiving. You, if you contra means against. So if you are having contraception inserted into your body, either through pill form, birth control pill, or uh, the IED, you know, whatever. A contraceptive device is a man wearing a condom. Anything that would prevent a pregnancy from happening is called contraception. This is where the left buttles the language. They will say the plan B pill. It's not an abortion drug. It's a contraceptive. It's but it, Basically, it's like saying, okay, you're going to fire the gun and the bullet is going to hit the target. But then the plan B pill comes in and pulls the bullet off the target like it was never there, like it didn't hit, like it didn't leave a mark. If a woman conceives a child in a moment of conjugal relationship with a man and then introduces something into her body to keep that pregnancy from happening after the pregnancy basically has begun, that is an abortion. You are trying to stop that pregnancy from continuing to grow. There's a huge difference between having a baby and being pregnant and not having a pregnancy. And the left is forever saying, no, 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 no. Those abortifacients you keep talking about, no, 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 it's all contraception. It's all contraception. It's all perfectly safe. And it all is perfectly legal. Now, two things come to play, and this is where I'm glad we have our two partners. The first that comes into play is tell a woman who is pregnant, has a positive pregnancy test, that she can see the child through the ultrasound image, like at a preborn clinic. And what does the left do? Oh, no, 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 no. That would be far too traumatic for her to see that image of the tissue and the cells. It's just, it's too traumatic. And they'll leave it at that. Whereas those of us in the Sanctity of Life crowd go, wow, look at that. That's a baby. That's my son. That's my daughter. That's my grandson. That's my granddaughter. Oh, my goodness. He has his mother's chin. Oh, he's got his, she's got her dad's ears. You can see that in these 4D images. When you make a donation to preborn, you are providing ultrasound images through ultrasound machines, either making a $28 donation so one ultrasound can take place. How about a $15,000 donation? Do you know how many ultrasound machines bottom line listeners donated last year to preborn? It was at least a half dozen. It's $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. But that ultrasound machine will provide 250 ultrasounds every year for at least 10 years. 2,500 kids saved for a $15,000 donation. By the way, call 833-850-BABY to make a donation, either $15,000 for an ultrasound 
machine or maybe $1,000 toward it. We had one bottom line listener give $37.50 uh, that got a fourth of a machine. And thank you, Jeff, for making that donation. Or make a donation of $28 to save one child or $140 to save five or $280 to save 10. You could do the math from there. 833-850-BABY is the number to call for preborn. And that's more important now than ever before because when you find out what the FDA has done to the abortion medication to make it easier for women to get it and to get it across state lines, well, the battle is just getting more intense to fight for the sanctity of human life. I'll tell you about it coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Just a few moments left in our drawing for your copy of Becca McNeil's book, Bringing Up Kids When Church Lets You Down, a guide for parents questioning their faith, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Hey, we were telling you before the break about um, what's happening with preborn and how uh, ultrasound machines are becoming more important now than ever before because of the number of women who are getting pregnant, facing what they would consider an unplanned pregnancy and not knowing what to do. The ultrasound machine and pregnancy test at the preborn health clinics give women the best information about whether or not to be a mom, release the child for adoption, or in some cases, they still have women who will see that ultrasound and still choose to abort. Tens of thousands of babies were saved last year and tens of thousands of women came to faith in Christ because of the witness. But I've got to give a tap, uh, 833-850-BABY if you'd like to make a donation to preborn. Also got to give a tip of the cap to our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom. They sniffed out interestingly enough, that the abortion medication mifepristone, which is a two-pronged attack that literally the first pill starves the baby and the second pill causes the baby to spontaneously abort from woman's body. The FDA says it's totally fine and now they are going to fast-track legislation that retail pharmacies can provide the drug. So you don't have to get it at the abortionist's office anymore. Now the abortionist can just write you a prescription and you go to pick up your prescription-based Sudafed or amoxicillin. You can also get an abortion pill. Yeah. So basically, a doctor in a state where abortion is legal can prescribe this medication to someone else in somewhere else. And it just, it, it's... It's a, it's a, a go-around, if you will, a workaround, pass Roe versus Wade. Well, here's the good news. Our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom had filed a lawsuit against the FDA. Here's the reason. Mifepristone has never been approved for use as an abortifacient. It has been approved for other uses, but in the same way the left likes to take something that has FDA approval for one issue and then they use it for transgender operations or things like that, they've been doing this for 20 years And no one's called them on it. Alliance Defending Freedom is suing the Food and Drug Administration to stop the distribution of the drug mifepristone for use for abortions because it does not have federal approval from the FDA for that purpose. This is why I encourage you to support the work that they do. Of course, they're taking on this case pro bono. Your donations make that possible. If you go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net and click on the banner for Alliance Defending Freedom, make a donation of $100, $200. What is that legislation worth to you and that legal fight? You see how the left works. Roe versus Wade is overturned, so what do they do? They find another way around it because they are so desperate to keep offering up young children to the idol at Molech. I mean, that's in essence what they're doing. 
but your donation to Alliance Defending Freedom helps them fight on the legal battle, and your donation to Preborn helps women get the information right on the battle lines at the health clinics. So go to kbrightradio.com, click on the Preborn banner, make a donation there. You can also find that at rogermarsh.com, and go to crawfordmediagroup.net and click on the Alliance Defending Freedom banner, and that way you can make a donation to support ADF as well. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. We have uh, Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. For those who remain on the network, Andrew Farley is going to join me, pastor and author, podcaster and broadcaster, and we're going to have a conversation about considering the good news in light of the current reality that we're living in. It's a great conversation coming up next as the bottom line continues. We talk often about the good news of the gospel message, and we talk about God's grace and God's mercy and forgiveness, and we think to ourselves, okay, well, that sounds like a great idea in theory, but the question many of us answer have to answer is, is the gospel message really that good? Well, today here on The Bottom Line, I'm joined by Andrew Farley, who's a pastor, an author, a radio host, and has a brand new book out on this subject. It's called The Grace Message. Is the gospel really this good? We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Andrew Farley, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here. It's good to have you as well, uh, Andrew Farley, the lead pastor of the Grace Church, which is a non-denominational church on the high plains of West Texas. He's also the author of eight best-selling books, including The Naked Gospel and The Perfect You, and hosts Andrew Farley Live, which airs across uh, North America every weeknight at 8 p.m. Eastern. You're a busy guy, Andrew Farley. How'd you have time to write this book in the middle of pastoring and radio hosting and all that <laughs> other stuff? <laughs> Yeah, well, COVID uh, slowed some things down there for a little while, so I had lots of at-home time there uh, right in the middle of all that, and I, I was uh, it was great to be able to put that to good use. And uh, so this book has been two years in the making. We're excited now that it's finally released and we can share grace with others. Okay, let's talk about grace, because I have my hunch is that for many of our listeners, just like for many of our uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, when it comes to grace, we really don't really understand what it means and what actually it does in our lives. So can you give us maybe a 60-second overview of grace before we get into the nuts and bolts of the book? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people think grace and mercy are the same thing. I, I like to say mercy is when the police officer pulls you over for going 100 miles an hour and he says, I'm not going to give you a ticket today. That's mercy. Uh, but then grace is when he hands you a $1,000 bill and says, uh, here's a free gift. I mean, that's grace. It's it's mm. over the top. It's, it's crazy. It's undeserved. Uh, but there it is. And so uh, in the grace message, I'm saying, Grace is more than God just canceling your debt. Uh, that's forgiveness, and that's wonderful. But God's more than a banker canceling your debt. He's more than a travel agent booking you for heaven. Uh, he's actually a heart surgeon as well, taking out your heart of stone, giving you a new heart, a new spirit, and his spirit. So the true grace of God is really empowering and inspiring. It's much bigger than mercy. It's more than forgiveness in heaven. I mean, it's getting right with God for free at no cost to us because it, it costs Jesus everything. It's amazing, Andrew Farley, how many people, when you talk about the grace of God, the good news of the gospel, how it's impacted our lives, and yet there's still a part of us that says, yeah, but if I don't 
uphold the law down to the last jot and tittle, then I'm guilty of breaking all of it because that's in the Bible too. And so I got, you know, there's this kind of rules-based mentality that we still have. Yeah. And there doesn't always seem to be room for grace in that kind of mindset. How do you help people abandon the for, the former and embrace the fact that God obviously is a God of order, God, he has laws and rules, but it's sure. not the rule-based living that actually helps you find favor with him and acceptance into his kingdom. Yeah, so, you know, we grow up in school, we, we study hard, and they give us good grades, and then we work hard at our first job, and they give us a promotion, and, you know, the world tells us that it's an achieving system, and yet the gospel is a receiving system. The world says, try your hardest, and, and God says, trust me. So there's trying, and then there's trusting, and, you know, the world says it's all about you and what you're doing, and the gospel says, no, it's all about Jesus and, and what he did. Uh, so I think you're right that, you know, people think they can marry law and grace. They can put self-effort together with the grace of God, but really all they need is a heavy dose of law to see where they fall short. And I think 15 minutes with the law will show us the reality. I mean, Jesus said, hey, you're avoiding murder well enough, but did you know anger equals murder? And, and you're avoiding adultery well enough, but did you know that looking with lust equals adultery. So he's showing them nobody can do it. And and once you've seen the law in all of its impossible glory, then you see your need for God's grace even more. Pastor Andrew Farley is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. His brand new book is called The Grace Message. Is the gospel really this good? And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, you talk about uh, the grace component in our lives uh, and the grace message as something that really does more than just pay the debt, if you will. And it's not like we have an open tab, you know, to keep sinning and then God's going to keep covering our, you know, whatever we owe all the way through. I mean, it's literally paid in full and then washed away like it never happened, that justification part. But the new identity then. I mean, how many people do you encounter, Andrew Farley, who would say, I'm a Christian, I've been a Christian 15, 20, 30 years, and yet you can see that they're still kind of living as a quote-unquote better version of their old sinful self as opposed to a new creation in Christ? Yeah, so I, I like to tell people when you really realize grace, it, it, it's going to empower you to live an upright life. I mean, Titus chapter 2 says the grace of God teaches us to say no to sin. So anybody who thinks grace is going to lead to more sinning, uh, they've got a pitiful view of God's grace. I mean, we're told again and again in Romans, for example, that sin will not master you uh, because you're under grace. And that's what the true grace message does for people. It, it motivates and inspires at a, at a heart level. Um, so, you know, the first sin, the first sin was self-improvement. You look at it, Adam and Eve, they were they were offered a chance to know good and evil, and when they ate of the fruit, they were trying to do more good and do less evil. And the sales pitch was, in the day you eat of this, you'll be more like God. You'll be more godly. And so Satan caused them to be suckers for the sales pitch of self-improvement. And if we're not careful today, we can be suckers for that same sales pitch. And what the gospel says is, hey— what if, what if I've already made you right? What if I've already made you new and whole and complete and forgiven and accepted and loved so that you don't have to wake up every day and try to fix yourself? Instead, you can fix your eyes on Jesus and recognize how much he actually likes you. So we got to put an end to this uh, self-improvement program. That's not what Christianity is really about. 
All right. And, you know, it, it's amazing to me how many people are trying to, you know, live it that way. And yet at the same time, there's also, I would imagine you've come in contact with a lot of these folks as well, people who have this kind of uh, life insurance policy version of Christian, Christianity and their Christian faith, where they expect that uh, because of God's grace, their sins are forgiven now, and there's all sorts of riches waiting for them in heaven. But in the, that dash in between when they got saved and when they're going to be with the Lord, it's just kind of muddle on through, pay your taxes, don't get in too many people's way, you know, don't upset the apple cart. And you're really not enjoying this new covenant of which you're under. Talk about why we miss so much of our uh, what life yeah. in Christ is all about if we aren't living fully in God's grace. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's our birthright to enjoy the gospel to the fullest and enjoy life with Jesus. And yet, you're absolutely right. We can be totally forgiven and miserable. We can be the righteousness of God and holy and blameless and accepted and all of that, but yet miserable. And who wants that? So right. that's the reason that we're called to think differently and act differently. I mean, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and light, and you'll find rest for your soul. Uh, that's real. And I would say sin is hard work. Uh, you know, I don't think we're pitched sin that way. At the outset, we think, oh, the world is really having a great time. And boy, if I could just sin, then I would really enjoy it. Right. But five minutes or five days or five years into sin, uh, you start to realize, wait a minute, this is eating my lunch. There's no contentment or joy in it. And that's because God has the market cornered on true contentment. Um, he's God. He's our designer. He knows what we need. So uh, we're not fooling anybody. We absolutely just reap what we sow. And uh, the bottom line is, yeah, we're forgiven and righteous, but how about we try to find contentment and fulfillment, too? And that happens when we are trusting Jesus in every moment. Well, now you're forcing us to read Scripture, Andrew Farley. Do we really have to do that if we want to be good? I'm sorry, tongue-in-cheek, but uh, I'm thinking about all the verses, especially Philippians 4, about living contented lives, and um, that, that that's one of the things that we get to enjoy. We just don't know what the outcome's going to be, because what God has in store for us is always way better than anything we could ever ask or imagine. Pastor and author Andrew Farley, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called The Grace Message. Is the gospel really this good? It's somewhat of a rhetorical question, but at the the beautiful thing about this resource is that Andrew actually an answers that question with lots of biblical truth. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and last at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. 
It all counts towards saving babies' lives. KBrightRadio.com. Hit the preborn banner right now. Andrew Farley is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Pastor Andrew Farley is also author Andrew Farley and radio host Andrew Farley as well. He's a triple threat uh, today here on The Bottom Line. We're talking about his brand new book called The Grace Message. Is the gospel really this good? Uh, Pastor Andrew Farley is the... uh, is the lead pastor of the Grace Church, a non-denominational church in West Texas. He is also the author of eight best-selling books. I guess we make this, is this the ninth best-selling book now? Because it looks like it's uh, doing extremely well. Yeah, yeah. It, it hit uh, the top 50 uh, among all Christian books recently, and I'm, I'm thrilled about that. And uh, yeah, it's book number nine for me, nine books in 10 years. So wow. I'm doing about one a year, my friend, and I, I enjoy it. Well, so pastor, lead pastor of a church, hosts a week, uh, nightly radio broadcast, and has written a book every year. I got to get back to the gym or do something because uh, <laughs> I'm having a hard time keeping pace with that. The book is called The Grace Message. Is the gospel really this good? And uh, Andrew, you and I were talking during the break about one of the aspects of grace that is kind of the 800-pound uh, gorilla in the room or hiding in plain sight, and that is the fact that a lot of people will believe that the grace of God has uh, we were saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and yet there will be a judgment, there will be you know an accounting for our mm-hmm. sins, and maybe... Well, I I can't bring myself to say it, but this is what a lot of people would believe that we want to make sure that grace really is enough, that it really is sufficient, so you know that we won't there won't be any surprises yeah. on Judgment Day. Talk about that. Yeah, so I think the big misconception is that somehow our sins are still going to be lingering on Judgment Day. That you know somehow God wasn't quite being truthful with us when He said. I'll remember your sins no more. I've removed them as far as the East is from the West. I keep no record of your wrongs. I don't take your sins into account. I mean, I would just ask, how many ways does God need to say this for us to agree with him that it is finished, as Jesus himself said on the cross? It's over. It's done. Your sin record is obliterated. So, Christians are not going to be judged for our sins. The whole point is Jesus took that judgment, and the verdict was guilty, and the punishment was death. The wages of sin is death, and there are no more wages. So somebody says, well, okay, then if I'm not going to be judged for my sins, then why would I even care about behavior? And I think now we're back to, well, wait a minute. Are you telling me that sin is actually more fulfilling than Jesus? And I would say uh, anybody who thinks that is in a delusion, because when you've got a creator and you're the creation, and you've got a designer and you're the design, then of course that God really knows what makes you tick and what fulfills you and what you're created for. So the, the reason we engage in upright living is because we're new creations, and we've got a new heart, and we've got new desires. And, you know, I'm allergic to eggs, and anytime I eat eggs, my whole system goes into shock. Oh, no. I would say, we Christ- yeah, we Christians are allergic to sin. And, you know, that's what Paul meant when he said you're dead to sin and alive to God. That's like saying you're allergic to sin, and you're addicted to Jesus, and nothing else will satisfy. Hmm. 
Well, that, that when you put it in those terms, Andrew Farley, I mean the the alert, the allergy and the allergic reaction, or there are certain things. I think as we get older, that you put into your body, you can't eat necessarily, or you need to make sure you take uh, yeah. better care with your sinuses or you know, breathing or whatever it is. Uh, those are things that we do naturally, and we don't even think twice about it. But you know, God has given us by His grace the ability to say, "Hey, look, okay, this is the deal." The evidence that you are a new creation is that you will turn away from, you know, that whole, that whole thing about repentance. And, yeah. and, and how many people will say, I believe in the, the grace, I think it was it's John Chris, the comedian, say, boy, when you talk about being washed in the blood of the lamb, most people say, well, I'm going to sue because you don't want that stuff getting on me. You know, I'm just run, run away from it, you know, <laughs> call, call an ambulance or something. But but we, what we begin to understand these other concepts, these other aspects of our spiritual life when we understand what grace is. And uh, do you have any way, I mean, I had a pastor when I was younger who used to say, when you want to think about grace, think of God's riches at Christ's expense, you know, use that acrostic and see if that helps. Mm -hmm. Is there, is there, uh, is there something that, that holds people back that in the grace message you, you actually put forward to say, hey, you know what, the reason that I want you to remember God's grace is so good, the gospel really is as good as this? Yeah. So I, I would say grace means everything is free. Everything you ever dreamed of having with God, um, you know, being right with Him and being close to Him. We keep hearing in the religious world, you got to get closer to God. And then you say, well, how do I do that? And they say, well, if you spend 10 more hours in the Bible and go to church mm -hmm. 15 more times and share your faith 100 more times, then you'll be closer. And we imagine ourselves kind of getting closer, inching a little bit closer and closer to God every day. And that, that's not really the relationship that we have. I mean, in the grace message, I'm saying, look what God did on day one, moment one that you were saved. He, he gave you that vine and branches relationship. He made you one spirit with the Lord, you and him and him and you. So yes, you're learning and yes, you're growing and nobody knows it all. And we're all in a process and it's an adventure and it takes time and truth and time and truth. So yes, let's fuel up on God's word and let's get together for church services and all that. But let's recognize that none of those things gave us this closeness that we have. It's a free gift, and that's what grace is. Grace is everything you ever needed from God, absolutely free, because Jesus paid for it. I'm kind of a word geek, Andrew Farley. We're just getting to know each other, so you wouldn't have known that, but our listeners are going, there he goes again. I really like digging into the origins, whether it's in the Hebrew or the Greek or you know whatever we see in Scripture to help us get a better understanding. Give us a good definition of grace. We see it in the New Testament a lot, so maybe a, a Greek definition, if you would, in terms of, and help us to understand the word grace in English, I think to us, sometimes gets watered down and lost in the same way that word like love, you know, gets, we don't, we don't get the full value of it just by saying the word love. Help us understand how mm -hmm. it's used in scripture and why we may be missing some of the the richer parts of God's grace simply because we just kind of think of grace as something where I either just let you get away with something or it's something we say before a meal. Yeah, yeah, right. So, I mean, uh, obviously the, the Greek word charis, it's where we get charismatic, and the reason we use that term is because it relates to the gifts, and so grace is a gift. Grace means gift, and when you—I'm uh, going to amp it up a little bit here, my friend, because actually three times in the New Testament— uh, there's a prefix uh, before these descriptions of God's grace, and the prefix is hyper. 
And I know people are, have thrown stones at hyper grace. They they use hyper grace almost as a derogatory term in some cases. But when you crack open God's word, he is saying that it's overabundant. I mean, Romans 5.20 uh, is this uh, hyper prefix appears to say God's grace overabounded. And then Ephesians 2.7, this uh, Greek prefix hyper shows up. God's grace surpasses and exceeds expectations. And then in 1 Timothy 1.14, hyper shows up again, and it, it means that God's grace was in surpassing abundance. So three different times, God actually uses this prefix hyper uh, to say, hey, look at this grace. It's ginormous. It's grace upon grace. So I think we should be hyper about God's grace. <laughs> yeah, I think that is a great way to remember it and describe it, because how many people, I mean, I could, I, when you said that, that prefix, uh, Pastor Andrew Farley, I immediately started thinking about the people who are dancing around the church and throwing themselves on the floor, and, you know, they're so super excited, right. they're kind of hyper, and I'm not that kind of, I mean, I'm really more of an outgoing introvert as opposed to, you know, someone who's given to that type of stuff. But when you begin to realize what God's grace does for us and the fact that it really does surpass abundance in our lives, it really does, you know, it's, it, mm -hmm. it is more than we could ever ask or imagine. Uh, it's amazing to me how many people say, well, I had this vision, I had this dream. And I'm like, well, you didn't have it. God gave it to you by his grace, because there's mm -hmm. no way we can have those kinds of dreams. We've got 60 seconds left in our conversation with Pastor Andrew Farley today here on The Bottom Line. His book is called The Grace Message, Is the Gospel Really This Good? And there's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and you know we're going to be giving away a copy at the end of this conversation. Uh, Andrew, as we are here in the Lenten season, talk about the meaning of grace, why it's so significant now as we think about the work that Jesus did on the cross, and how we can do kind of a spiritual gut check to make sure that we really are living according to God's grace as opposed to what we think God wants us to do and act and say, which is a little more legalistic. Yeah. So, you know, Hebrews 12 says it's important not to miss God's grace and then we're told to stand in God's grace and stand firm in it and be strong in it. Second uh, Peter 3 says we grow in God's grace. Um, so even First Peter, it says, set your hope completely on God's grace. So this is not a trendy movement. It's not a special focus. Um, the gospel is actually called the gospel of God's grace. This is the very core, the very root of Christianity. It's what separates us from world religions that are engaging in self-improvement. Anybody can have a rule book and try their hardest, but Christianity is not about rules. It's about letting Christ rule in our hearts by faith, and that's what, what makes it such a beautiful adventure. The Grace Message, Is the Gospel Really This Good? is the brand new book by Andrew Farley, and uh, the, of course the answer to that is yes, but you won't know how good until you actually read this resource. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Andrew, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for the book. I mean, I can't imagine that we won't be having this conversation every year now, now that we know how prolific an author you are and how you can manage your pastoral ministries and your broadcast duties as well in doing this. Thank you so much for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Oh, it was so fun. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, a great conversation, as always, with pastor and broadcaster Andrew Farley. The book, The Grace Message, Is the Gospel Really This Good? is a timely read, especially with a lot of people, uh, to get back to our earlier conversation with Becca McNeil, about parents who are raising their kids, and the parents have skepticism about the church and about the so-called gospel message. And, and uh, I'll tell you, 
Um, Andrew's book is a game changer. Uh, we have one copy to give away. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com and rogermarsh.com. But we have one copy of this book to give away, and I'd love to place it in your hands. Give Crystal a call right now at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, pastor and author Andrew Farley's book, The Grace Message, Is the Gospel Really This Good? 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Well, Dennis Wilson is with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, 800-696-9970, or go to wilson-financial.com. There are a lot of people who have been really taking a bath when it comes to stocks this year, stock market off 25% in some segments, but yet you have a new program that's really designed to help somebody in that situation earn some of that loss back. It's obviously designed to do exactly that. It's a very limited offer on a 16% guaranteed return on your account in an account that in the next two years can never go down. It is a great vehicle to help people who have lost money because of the way the market is. But there is a time limit, is there not, Dennis Wilson? People have to act now. The 4th of January, you have an additional, I think, 30 or 60 days to get the funds in because some of these IRA accounts take a while to move. But yes, the initial application and declaration that you want to start the account needs to be signed by 1423. Well, this is a golden opportunity. Go to wilson-financial.com, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial. My thanks again to Pastor Andrew Farley for joining me today here on The Bottom Line, kind of a New Year's message for everyone here in week two of 2023 with the grace message answering the question, is the gospel really this good? 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. The, uh, the number to get you through to the bottom line. And uh, we've got one copy of the book to give away. You know, the, in the time that we have left, I, I wanted to unpack a concept that a lot of people have, and that is we use the term the good news or we use the term the gospel rather I, almost flippantly here in the U.S. And if we as the church really want to fully understand what it means to be biblically literate, I think this is something that we need to get a better grasp on. What exactly is the grace of God? What exactly is the gospel? And why do we call it the good news? Grace, I mean, if you want to use an acrostic, grace is a, a, you can explain it this way, it's God's riches at Christ's expense, G-R-A-C-E. Is the gospel really the good news? Well, here is the good news of the gospel. Apart from Christ, we are doomed. We as people are born sinful. I mean, we look at babies and they're so perfect and they're so cute and they're so fun, but they are born into a corrupted world and they have been corrupted by sin. A lot of people are of the mindset that you can be a Christian and say, well, there is sin in the world, but everybody's born good, everybody's born perfectly, and just don't let the sin get on you. And oh, by the way, Jesus died to take away the sin, so now just be good. Well, Jesus didn't die to make you a better version of your sinful self. God sent him who had no sin and made him who had no sin to become sin for us. Each of us is born sinful, so each of us needs to be forgiven of our individual sin. So when some pastor says to you, hey, you know, here's the good news. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, and he loves you so much that he's pursuing you and just give your heart to him. And you look at that pastor and say, what, what if I don't want him? I like my life right now. It's fine. It's working. It's not that bad. It has some ups and downs, but why should I except this message. Well, here's the good news. The good news is even though there is sin in the world, God loved you so much that he sent his only son to pay the penalty for your sin. 
One day, everyone's going to have to give an accounting for our sin. Each one of us, you, me, everybody is. And apart from Christ, we can't pay that penalty. You can never out-earn that debt. There is no lottery jackpot big enough for you to come up with, with American currency and say, God, here's how I'm going to pay for my sins. Well, what about the sins that were committed against me? That's not the issue. The issue is your sin and my sin, which is disgusting to God, and we can't stand in his presence unless that sin is rectified and justified. But because of the blood of Jesus, it is. God gives you the gift of faith so that you could receive the gift of salvation to understand that God sent his son to die for you so that you don't have to be a sinner in the hand of an angry God on judgment day. Then you live and go, wow, this is incredible. This is the greatest gift I've ever gotten. And people look at you and say, what happened to you? And then you say, let me tell you the good news about what happened to me. And it can happen to you if you receive the gift of faith to receive the gift of salvation. So is the gospel really this good? No, it's better than that. <laughs> but that is good news. And that's the bottom line.